Podcast 112 features pianist Claire Hammond talking about her new disc released on the BIS label, featuring 20th and 21st century variations by Aaron Copeland, Paul Hindemith, John Adams, and what you'll hear throughout this episode, Simonowski's variations on a Polish theme. Hammond's list of appearances is already impressive given she was awarded the RPS Young Artist Award in 2016. She's collaborated with many of the UK's major orchestras already, BBC Symphony, BBC National Orchestra of Wales, the Philharmonia and the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic. Had it not have been for Covid, she would have appeared at the Albra Festival in 2020 and the International Piano Series at the South Bank too. And there lies the hook for this podcast. Claire will continue her prisons project, taking classical music into a prison environment, when guidelines permit later this year. The music on this, her fifth release, will be the music she plays to between 100 and 150 prisoners who have chosen to attend one of her concerts. Music for people whose freedoms have been cut off. Live music for people who haven't been in the same physical space as another human being since their sentences began. For some, perhaps, maybe not ever. What must that be like? And what must it be like to experience it in the moment? And is it something you think that particular audience deserves to experience? Claire Hammond tackles some of those questions herself every time she leaves the prisons she plays in. Some of those questions are at the heart of her ongoing project, halted because of the lockdown we're all legally obliged to adhere to. Claire is a passionate advocate of the joys of active listening as a way of nourishing the soul. It, it was interesting because I walked in and um, I, I, the spoken introductions that I give are key. And I, I started off, I think, with a Chopin attitude because I just wanted to play something that would be accessible for everyone, would be in a style that everyone knew, you know, whether it's through listening to music or hearing it in the, as background music to a film or whatever, it would be something that was familiar and something that would be virtuosic so that they'd realise I was a serious performer and that, you know, it was going to, they were going to have some kind of um, a concert experience, I guess. And I can't remember what I did second. And then third, I played Schubert's Impromptu in G-flat major, which is very, it's about six minutes, very quiet um, piece, very reflective and not at all flashy. And I was nervous at that stage because um, there were a few, not many, but there were a few men in the audience who were just messing around and um, I guess they had to have a laugh with the, with the maze. And um, I knew if they were doing that during six minutes of Schubert, it was going to be an absolute disaster. So I actually told them um, about Schubert's experience of syphilis and how he wrote this piece in the last year of his life and how isolated he was and couldn't really talk to anyone because of the stigma associated with the disease and, you know, all this. And I just suddenly sensed a change in attention and that even the people who were, had not been engaged were suddenly thinking of, of this man and his isolation and the pain, both emotional and physical, that he must have gone through. And they completely engaged with the music. And that was a real epiphany for me because I suddenly saw that all the preconceptions we have about what music will be enjoyable by which people and what we bring to the table as performers, so much of that is ill-informed and ill-informed by prejudice and the way that we're socialised. And actually, humans are so much more similar than we often believe. And this kind of experience was a way of seeing that. Using the story of a piece of music written by someone themselves, isolated by society as a way to empathise with people who are 
isolated from society is quite some strategy. Before lockdown, obviously, I performed in lots of different uh, arenas. So I would do my normal recitals, concertos in concert venues. And I've also done a great deal of work in prisons and schools and um, occasionally give, you know, private concerts in in people's houses, that sort of thing. So I meet lots of, lots of people, many of whom are very interested in classical music, some of whom have never encountered it before, but are open to discovery. And occasionally people who have come along to a concert because they you know it was an important social occasion and they're not really that into the music and of course people fall on a spectrum and there are some people who just aren't interested in music and won't don't get it and um and I think it's important to let them go on their way without without trying to you know coerce them but I do find that the vast majority of people if it's presented in a way that makes it possible to engage then um they they're often very enthusiastic and I think the key to that is if you are performing or presenting music to audiences who aren't familiar with classical music it's important to be aware that this kind of music is something you have to engage actively with it's not the kind of music you can put on in the background Mm. that just creates a sort of nice mood that you can you know use when you're cooking or entertaining it's not Mm. it's not like that classical music if you want to get the most from it you have to really engage you have to be an active listener and it's difficult to do that if you've not had that experience. And one way that I find is really key to sort of introducing that way of listening to people is to introduce the music always with spoken introductions just to create a human connection and present a story either about what's happening in the music or about what the composer was going through at the time or even sometimes just purely analytical things like certain things they can listen out for and effects that a composer is trying to achieve. And just giving one hook for a piece can really suddenly open up new vistas and people realise that they can connect with this music and that there is an enormous amount of emotional and expressive wealth there that would be a great resource. And that's something that's been really important in the prison concerts that I've given. Very often you have people who haven't really encountered classical music or if they have, sometimes they have preconceptions about it being a sort of very snobby arena that's, Mm. you know, that is that try to exclude people and if you can suddenly you know introduce these stories particularly about what composers experienced in their personal lives whether they suffered mental health difficulties or were ostracized for whatever reason that kind of thing can really connect with people and suddenly they realize that this music is 
is relevant to them and that it has something to say about their experiences and that can be really powerful and it can be a great healing experience in some cases for people and obviously I give concerts where there are members of the audience who just don't get it and aren't interested and aren't engaged but for those people who do I think it's it's really fulfilling as a performer to be able to bring that to people and often they will continue then listening to classical music afterwards and it can become a great resource for them. It strikes me that you have to be, or one has to be, uh, true to oneself and have a sort of a resolve with that particular goal in mind. Um, because I mean, I'm bringing quite a lot of my own situation, which you won't be aware of, to to this conversation. But but in order to have that, you have to be. You have to have the courage of your convictions in order to plough on with that, because. I totally get what you're saying. At the same time, there is this sort of commercial imperative, which, which is why you know music is sort of introduced. Classical music is introduced, for example, as something that you can have on in the background. I mean, it, that that kind of thing just drives me wild, frankly. Uh, but but you know that's my issue to deal with, not everybody else's, I suspect. Um, as I say, I go back to the original point. It, it it strikes me you have to have the courage of your convictions to to deliver that kind of thing. Yeah, I completely agree. And actually, this isn't something I would have been able to do as convincingly or authentically, I think, 10 years ago. So the reason I came to the school concerts was when we moved to Gloucestershire four five years ago. Um, I wanted to be connected to the community here in a way that I haven't been in previous places I've moved because I've used them mainly as a, you know, so I could be in the community belt and travel everywhere else, but I needed to for my concerts. And this is the first time I've really been part of a community and the school concerts have been vital for that. And then with the prison concerts, that actually came out of an, an episode I had after the birth of my second daughter. I suffered quite badly from postnatal depression for a long time. And part of my recovery from that was finally taking the leap and starting to do these prison concerts as a way of connecting with people in a different environment and just forcing myself out of my comfort zone. And actually, it was really a really valuable experience as part of my recovery. But one thing I learned um, that was important for my own sort of development, I guess, was that having had the experience of um, mental illness and coming through that, I suddenly had a new perspective on the music and its importance that I didn't have before. And one thing I'd always been concerned about earlier on in my career was that as a concert pianist, I was doing something that I really enjoyed and that was really important for me. But I knew that some people didn't really get it. I come from a family that's not particularly musical and they've always been really supportive. But it's it's very obvious that music is not a driving force for them in the way that it is for me. So I knew that my experience was not typical necessarily. And I was concerned that I was just providing entertainment for people, but that it wasn't any more meaningful than that. And actually having been through the experience of mental illness and then seeing how powerful music can be in difficult situations, particularly in prisons, that I, that's really connected me with the core um, significance, I suppose, of classical music and of what it can really do for us. And the key to that is how it helps us communicate as humans.
you talked about postnatal depression and then wanting to force yourself out of your comfort zone and do something that really challenged you, which, um, as someone who has suffered from depression in the past, that kind of surprises me because it makes me think, actually, in the midst of depression, that's the last thing I would have wanted to do have done. So I'm interested in how you went from I'm experiencing this to this is what I need to do. Um, it was two motivating factors and it happened towards the end of the depression. It's not something I could have done when I was in the throes of what was at times quite a terrifying experience mm -hmm. where I almost, well, at times did lose contact with, I suppose, rational thought. And one of the key, well, the worst aspect of the depression was that certain emotions became very, very heightened. And the worst of those was a sense of guilt. And it, I've spoken about this elsewhere, but it seems almost ridiculous to call it guilt because it wasn't remotely similar to the kind of guilt you experience when you're mentally sane or healthy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was almost like a, a sort of multidimensional guilt, like the kind of thing I sometimes hear people talk about in a religious context when they talk about Judgment Day and you might be standing in front of God and you've been stripped down to your essence and God sees just how how flawed you are. <laughs> um, and I, it was that kind of, it was a horrendous guilt that just pursued me constantly I couldn't shift it and I'd always wanted to do prison concerts in the past before I was ill but um I had been concerned that I wouldn't be able to do it in a way that was genuine and that people might think I was some kind of fraud and that I was not relevant and just kind of brush it off and actually this guilt was so profound that I just had to do something where I felt I could use the skills I had in a way that might help people it might not but I had to take that risk so that sort of forced me and the second thing to do with the um, the depression was that I, I realised just how much I was in my own head and how damaging that could be. As a person, I tend to process things very quickly. I, I can take in a lot of information. You can hear that I speak quickly. And when I'm in my head, <laughs> the thought cycles move very, very quickly and it doesn't take long to shift when I'm not well, to shift down into a, a sort of vortex, I suppose you'd call yep. it. And I just needed somewhere to kickstart me out of that so it was this profound guilt with a need to get out of my head that really forced me to do it and I'm I'm so glad I did I think I would have recovered anyway but um and I feel much stronger now as a result of having been through that experience and although it was horrendous at the time I'm really I am glad that it happened because mm. I, I spoke about this it reconnecting me with what's at the core of music this communication and actually that's really fed back into my work in recitals and concert halls um, and the worth that I see in the normal concert work that I do. Um, so I think as a person and as a musician, it's really added to my life, um, despite, you know, the, the pretty horrendous nature of actually being in it at the time. Uh, I think you overlook the word resolve. I think uh, in, in answering that question, um, I, I reflect on how even when I was recovering, I, well... Did I? Maybe I'm doing myself a disservice. I think there was a... Yes, maybe I am, but this is not about me, it's you. So let's focus on you, yeah? <laughs> um, tell me um, uh, tell me about stepping into the prisons then for the first time. What? what so I, that, that comes with all sorts of assumptions for me when I imagine you doing that in that, you know, in that, if you don't mind me saying, state. Um, uh, what was the experience like? Can you describe it for me? Um, I had never been in a prison before, and the first prison I went to was a large men's prison. Um, and I was performing to, I think, about 150 people in a, in the chapel. 
that might be an exaggeration, but it was certainly more than 100. And um, <laughs> Okay, 100, 150. It's no, a lot of people in a prison. <laughs> and I, I was a bit nervous, but mainly because I was worried they would think I was some kind of fraud and that I was preaching classical music to them as some sort of you know, higher culture when that is not at mm. all what I wanted or what the music is about. But I tried not to think about it too much. And actually one thing that I've learned from my concert career over the decade or so that I've been performing is that um, the it's really important just to go from moment to moment. And actually that was a crucial part of getting through pregnancies as well. <laughs> like when you're feeling absolutely dire, just focus on the next two, three minutes and don't think too much about the future. It's Make sure down to that. It's, it's actually, I mean, you know, at the moment I, I, I focus on half a day at a time, really. It sounds yeah. pathetic. But you're saying it's focus on the next two to three minutes. It's as granular as that. Yeah, I mean, that was the only way I could get through performing concerts when I was suffering from morning sickness and was utterly exhausted. And, you know, I had a I had a week where I had five concerts, was throwing up all the time and could only eat cereal bars. And the only way that you can get through, through a, you know, like that when you're feeling absolutely dire, either when you're pregnant or you're in the midst of mental illness, was by focusing on the next two, three minutes, really. Um, so I tend to do that. If I'm in a situation where I'm very nervous, then I, I make sure I'm prepared, but I just focus on the next few minutes. And... With the prison concert, it, it was interesting because I walked in and um, I, I, the spoken introductions that I give are key. And I, I started off, I think, with a Chopin etude because I just wanted to play something that would be accessible for everyone, would be in a style that everyone knew. You know, whether it's through listening to music or hearing it in the as background music to a film or whatever, it would be something that was familiar and something that would be virtuosic so that they'd realise I was a serious performer and that you know, it was going to, they were going to have some kind of um, a concert experience, I guess. And I can't remember what I did second. And then third, I played Schubert's Impromptu in G flat major, which is very, it's about six minutes, very quiet um, piece, very reflective and not at all flashy. And I was nervous at that stage because um, there were a few, not many, but there were a few men in the audience who were just messing around and um, I guess they had to have a laugh with a, with a maze. And um I knew if they were doing that during six minutes of Schubert, it was going to be an absolute disaster. So I actually told them um, about Schubert's experience of syphilis and how he wrote this piece in the last year of his life and how isolated he was and couldn't really talk to anyone because of the stigma associated with the disease and, you know, all this. And I just suddenly sensed a change in attention and that even the people who were, had not been engaged were suddenly thinking of, of this man and his isolation and the pain, both emotional and physical, that he must have gone through. And they completely engaged with the music. And that was a real epiphany for me because I suddenly saw that all the preconceptions we have about what music will be enjoyable by which people and what we bring to the table as performers, so much of that is ill-informed and ill-informed by prejudice and the way that we're socialised. And actually, humans are so much more similar than we often believe. And this kind of experience was a way of seeing that. intentionally disarm them or was it just instinctive in the moment and then here was the thing that happened and and then he went ah do you see what i mean oh, it's a, 
It certainly wasn't intentional, and I'm not a good enough actress that if I tried to intentionally disappoint <laughs> anyone, it would come across as genuine. Okay, well, I, I... Think, they would have seen through that immediately, I'm sure. And I, it's really so. It came as a surprise then. In the moment, it came as a surprise to you. Yeah, yeah, and that's happened elsewhere in other concerts. And I think the key in other prison concerts, I think the key thing goes back to this point you made about being authentic and genuine. If you do this in any way that is not authentic. Um, if you try to manipulate people, then that's that would just be the end. I'm sure. I've and often found that. I've often found if I try and manipulate <laughs> people, it never works. <laughs> yeah, it's not not something I'm gifted at. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you are still. I'm right in saying that you're still doing uh, the prison. Well, I mean, you're not doing them at the moment because presumably that's completely off limits. But you still have plans to do prison concerts when you're allowed throughout this year. Yeah, I hope that I can get back into prisons as soon as the lockdown eases. It's not been possible so far, but um, the yeah, my next project in prisons is going to be related to this new disc, the Variations disc. Um, and the reason I've chosen to do a sort of a matched program in prisons and schools to go alongside the release is because I found that Variations are actually a really good way of introducing new styles to audiences. So. I did one test run of this variations program in the prison before lockdown started. And it was it was really interesting because it's the first time I've tried to introduce any kind of musical analysis in this context. And it worked really well. Um, so I started with the Mozart variations on Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, which are great because absolutely everyone knows that. And that's actually a really good way to connect with the way variations would have been experienced by contemporary audiences in Mozart's time. They would have taken melodies that people knew. And then actually there's a joy of discovery and the whole audience can participate in this, in the joy of hearing something that is familiar but that has been completely switched. And the humour in Mozart's set is really quite apparent. So that was lovely just to see people hear Twinkle Twinkle, they recognise that. And then the first variation, you could see the enjoyment in people's faces and someone even laughed out loud once, which was amazing because, you know, I'd done... In my third year at uni, I'd done a course on 18th century composers who were less well-known. And we'd had a session once on variations in sonata form and how these musical connoisseurs would have sat and listened to these pieces and maybe even laughed out loud at a particularly witty turn of phrase. And as, you know, third-year undergraduates, we couldn't quite believe that people would have laughed in concerts. That time <laughs> oh, oh, they were so boring in those days. What were they laughing at? Didn't they learn jokes? Yeah. <laughs> kind of says that you know, and our, our professor kept talking about how you know we just don't have that that kind of framework anymore but actually if you take a melody that people know and play around with it then anyone and everyone can participate in the joy of this kind of form which is strange because you don't think of musical form as having an inherent joy <laughs> so um in that context it's it's a very the variations concert is more analytical and it has been interesting seeing how people respond to, I guess, a more intellectual approach to music. Because again, that's not something that I would have thought, even for myself, would would help me connect emotionally with the music. But it it really, it does in this context. And I think it's, it's interesting to bring all these different elements that create great music and great art and that helps communicate. Now, in terms of the long-term impact of the Variations concert, I don't know. But I do know that some of the other concerts I've given have have helped people perhaps to they provide some respite where they can concentrate on something and just for an hour forget about where they are and their situation but more importantly i think there is there have been some anecdotes i've heard about prisoners who have felt um sort of have felt very disconnected and have perhaps 
I've been depressed or felt very flat and haven't really experienced emotion for a, for a while. And then suddenly there's this outflowing of emotion in the context of a concert when they hear this music. And that's a really powerful thing. Um, and it can be quite distressing at the time for people, I think. But just to help people connect with emotions again and to, and this sense of kinship that you have. If you hear that, you know, Schubert went, had a terrible time and that there was something in his experience that relates to yours and that then he created this, this incredible music um, and this music that almost takes us beyond human experience um, to something beyond, you know, it's just, it's, if you listen to the impromptu, you can hear that very powerfully. And to be able to bring that to people, I think, to have so they have that experience to draw on later in life. That's that's so important, but it's not quantifiable. And I, I just hope that for some people, these concerts will have a long-term effect. Uh, for me, there's something about how um, this is almost like concert giving going back to basics. Because you are you are performing to the you're performing to the toughest audience, by which I mean I don't mean physically tough or tough because of their environment necessarily, but more that this is um, a captive audience who wouldn't necessarily mm. consider actively choose to listen to this, and they are there, and you have to reel them in through performance and through introduction and so therefore actually the rewards at the end of it in terms of their listening experience and your performance experience are hard earned and um and really rewarding i'm basically posing a question to you and answering it for you that's what i'm doing well there's, there's one it's a good point and there's one key thing that's important to keep in mind with the prison concerts it's absolutely vital that people choose to be there i think obviously they're captive in that they are mm, constrained yeah. but um they have never given concerts to people who didn't choose to be there so they have they have um depending on the prison and their schedule there are particular times when they're able to do activities and some of them can choose to come to this concert but they can go elsewhere or stay in their cells or whatever during that time um so everybody who is in those concerts has chosen to be there but obviously there's a limited selection of things that they can do and they may not be particularly interested in this to start off with. So there is, it's challenging, as, but the biggest challenge is to make sure that you come across as, that I come across as authentic for me. Because I think that's, as I've said, that's that's absolutely vital. And it's the only way that you can approach that kind of interaction with any degree of care, I think, for, for people who are in incredible, difficult circumstances have had experiences that in many cases I can't imagine and um, yeah in an environment that's so charged it's for people who haven't been in prisons it's difficult to really understand what it's like being in a building where you've got so many adults confined in a small space and the especially it, it depends as well on the age of the prison but in some of the older ones they're just concrete walls all the way down and the acoustic experience of doors slamming and the echoes around these corridors is really quite threatening <laughs> in itself. Um, and, and do you hear that you know, when you're playing? Um, sometimes, yeah. But for the people who live there as well, to be in that kind of... I'm obviously very sensitive to noise. Um, mm. But to be in that kind of environment, I think, is obviously extremely challenging. So there's there's all kinds of tensions in 
in prisons, and those vary depending on what kind of prisons they are, whether they're for men or women, um, what the atmosphere is like at the time. There was once one time I went to a prison where they were on lockdown, where which in that context meant that the prisoners were only allowed out of their cells for one hour every day because there'd been a security breach the previous week. And um, and the I mean we think lockdown is difficult for us now, and many people are in very difficult circumstances. Um, and I suppose we are, some of us are confined by ourselves at home um, to a small space. Um, but it's, yeah, it was, it was quite an intense atmosphere. does the emotional experience for you as a performer differ from what might be described as a conventional concert setting you know what 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 demands is is that experience making on you and and what how do you feel it when you walk away from that experience um during the concert actually it's much less dissimilar to a normal concert than you might expect now i've got used to doing them I've actually taken the way I introduce prison concerts back to the concert stage. Um, and rather than introduce a normal recital with just some information about the piece and sort of the kind of information you might get on Wikipedia about the historical background, I often try and go a bit deeper and talk about human experience or particular connection I might have made with a composer on a personal level in my normal recitals because people can get the generic information from Wikipedia or from the program mode, but they can't get that personal insight that you can bring as a performer. And I used to think that was superfluous mm, to concerts mm. and that in some sense the music ought to speak for itself, but actually music doesn't speak for itself in any context. It's completely um, flawed to say say that it might. The only reason music ever speaks is because of our experience and because of whatever connection we have with a performer or composer, whether that's verbal or not. Mm. So I think to if you can bring that again in an authentic and genuine way, that really helps. When I walk away from concerts... Um, it's a much more emotionally heightened experience leaving prisons. Sometimes I'm very hopeful. Uh, sometimes I'm very upset. Um, sometimes it's difficult to, I feel unsettled and it's difficult to work out why. It, it, it really depends on the situation that the prisoners are in and how I've been able to interact. I always have a question and answer session after concerts um, in prisons and that's always really interesting as a way of gauging how the audience have found the concert and um, how it might impact them. Is but, that the, yeah. I wonder whether that is the hangover for you as a performer then, that actually there is a, an emotional connection formed in the moment of performance with your audience that perhaps you wouldn't necessarily, that wouldn't necessarily be as strong in a, con sorry to use the word, conventional concert setting, uh, and and as a result, that when you walk away, actually, there's a certain amount of disentangling that is required. I think that's what I'm hearing you say. I think so. Yeah, I would say that the emotional reaction was equally strong, because in both cases, in a prison or a conventional recital, you are um, performing music of great power and expressive range. And that is exhausting on every level. I think when I leave prisons, the emotions are more conflicted, because the people there are in 
often such difficult situations. And then there's the whole question of, of guilt. And I mean, I never know what people have done or if they are justly or unjustly imprisoned. And that's, that's, that can be difficult. I mean, sometimes you can see it, it again, it varies with prisoners, but some prisoners are obviously ashamed of being where, where they are. And you have to connect with them and offer them hope in some way, which sounds incredibly pretentious and as if I could go in and offer people hope in that way when they're in such difficult circumstances. But I think the most important thing for all of us, regardless of where and where we find ourselves, is this question of human connection. And again, that's something that's been brought to the fore during the pandemic. Mm. Um, it's, it's, I mean, I've, I'm an introverted person on the whole. I've had to really work hard to be able to introduce my concerts, for example, and to talk to people in the way that you have to if you want to build a career and get work and that kind of thing. I've had to consciously learn that. And I have some very close friends, but I, I'm not a massive social social butterfly. Um, but even during, even for me during lockdown, it's been a real strain. I've really noticed how how much I value social contact with people <laughs> in a way that I couldn't before. It makes yeah, me, me feel like some kind of me permit. Too. Me too, and I, I, sort of I have a similar thing, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm introverted, I'm, I like to think that I'm outgoing, and I like to talk, but I generally don't need other people, or at least that's what I thought, because I just hate mm. noise, I hate other people around me, I've got loads of work to do, go away, that, that sort of thing, uh, and now, now that we've got to the third lockdown, it's like, I am really missing people, I really need to be in, the, just being in the same physical space as another human being we don't need to say anything we don't need to have you know really in-depth conversation that physicality is what I now miss and so I get the thing about hope because it does bring this something that is immeasurable um and you know it's not even that it but that being in the same physical space as somebody else brings you joy. It's just, oh, well, I suppose, relief. That's what it is. It, there's a sense of yeah, relief. It's a physical and emotional relief that I've never experienced before. And I can't imagine what it's going to be like to perform to a live audience again. I'm going to be a complete wreck. I do worry about the day when I have to step into a meeting room with other people and it will just be an overwhelming experience where everybody is talking to each other uh, and we're all waiting for someone to finish. I think it will probably aid communication because we've all got used to sort of pausing, waiting.